It's episode 76, the Annex Wealth Management SWAT podcast, Monday, November 6th. Strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Insight and perspective from members of the Annex Wealth Management Investment Committee. Joining us today, Dr. Brian Jacobson, Chief Economist at Annex Wealth Management. Welcome. It's great to be here. Ken Bellinger, Senior Trader at Annex Wealth Management on the investment team. Welcome to you. Good morning, Danny. And uh, I guess we'll just jump right into it here with upcoming economic data this week, which compared to last week has been mercifully quiet, I guess we'll say. Some Fed officials coming out of the woodwork to talk and always watch the market move up and down as they utter the next sentence seemingly. But on Tuesday, we do have consumer credit. Um, On Thursday, as always, we've got the initial jobless claims report. And then on Friday, we've got the University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment uh, Report. So with that, Brian, why don't we kick it over to you for strengths? Yeah, I think that uh, you were talking about the Fed officials coming out of the woodwork, and people are going to be trying to parse all their language because Chair Powell, I think that was the big news of this past week, is uh, really, I think, suggesting that we're in that Powell pause, is what we're calling it, that probably back in July, that was their last rate hike. Not to say that they definitely will not do it. We can't commit to that because you don't know what the data is going to say. But uh, he definitely hinted that uh, they're inclined to just kind of see how things shake out a little bit here. Next few days, when you get more Fed officials speaking, we'll have to see if they give any pushback on his messaging. I kind of doubt it because he seems to be a consensus builder where he really wants to find out what's everybody feeling and then try to communicate for the the entire group. But you do get some of the fringe individuals out there who might say that they should hike, maybe those who say that they should start cutting, you never know. So I think that's one of the big strengths is that if we're in this Powell pause period, that the economic data is going to suggest how strong the economy really is without having to worry about more rate volatility or the Fed pulling back on the leash of the economy overall. So I I put that as one of the big macro strengths. From a trader's perspective, what were you seeing as far as any strengths? We're, we've got earnings season and technicals and all sorts of fun things to look at. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I guess you consider it a strength, at least call it through really the release on Wednesday last week, where sentiment was just extremely low in the market. We had this kind of a gloom and doomsday feel about just every day you wake up and it's the market's red and closes were still red. And it gave a lot of fuel really to, you know, the, the Powell pause, if you will, being confirmed on Wednesday and just the market really ripping the last mm-hmm. three days of the week here. And breath really, I know we just talked about it recently as being poor, really improved over the past week as we got you know, the positive news out of out of the Fed. We've seen tenure now. We saw a number in the four fives this mm-hmm. week, and we were scraping the five percent mark. It's a huge move in three days. Oh yeah, yeah. That that was uh, really interesting. And actually, I think this kind of transitions to a little bit of a weakness there when uh, the employment situation report came out. There was not a lot of breadth to the job gains there. And I know that's one of the things as far as the weakness that we're focusing on is how concentrated the gains were in the S&P 500 or any of the major indices. So not a lot of market breadth. And what we're beginning to notice is um, really diminishing breadth in the economic strength. I think this was really highlighted really all summer and in the third quarter GDP numbers, so GDP gross domestic product, where it showed that most of the gains came from service sector spending, nothing really from the good side. And now with the employment situation report coming out, there are distortions because there was the UAW strike. I think the Actors Guild that they're still on strike that kind of showed up in the data that we got on Friday. But only 52% of all private sector industries 
actually posted job gains. So 48% were cutting jobs. Now that is down materially from the previous month where you had this diffusion index saying that about 61 to 62% of private sector industries were posting gains. So the sudden narrowing of the economic strength, that's I'd say transitioning into one of the weaknesses is probably one of the big ones that I've been looking at. On the whole, Q3 earnings were incredibly solid, but up until Wednesday of last week, right, you just saw stocks all over the place just getting hammered as forward guidance was materially revised lower, really across the board. You know, tech was hit hard in certain pockets. You saw it in nearly every industry, Q4 forecasts and not a lot of 2024 guys, which normally you start to see at this point. Not a lot of people talking about that right now because I think there's too much uncertainty for them to feel comfortable giving a number. Oh, sure. I suspect that uh, they just want to make it through this year. (laughs) So it's maybe still a little too early to think about 2024, even though historically this is the time of year in which they would give guidance about the next year ahead. I kind of noticed the price action uh, just to call them out a little bit as far as with Meta, so the owner of Facebook, how the results, you saw a rally in the stock price, but then it fell as they got into the conference call and they gave that weaker guidance going forward. And then even Apple, when they reported, those numbers looked very strong, except for with China, uh, as far as the revenue there. And then also talking about a challenging holiday shopping season coming ahead. Now, from a bigger macro picture, a lot of people like to anticipate, you know, what is the shopping season going to look like? A lot of the surveys of consumers suggest that they're actually going to be spending less this year than what they did last year. I thought that was kind of interesting. So even though we do have a tight job market, you have decent wage gains, uh, it seems like at least people are saying that they're going to cut back. Now, maybe they're just setting low expectations, right? Uh, Maybe they are afraid that uh, their kids were going to hear and they don't want them to be disappointed. So um, it's kind of, you know, that expectations management. But uh, it does seem like maybe the fourth quarter from the corporate side could be a little weak on the consumer side a little bit weak as well yeah and really that's always the strategy at my house is to keep expectations low on those christmas (laughs) presents (laughs) but like you said job market still remains fairly tight even though we've seen those numbers start to start to pull in here we constantly talk about inflation coming down and Mm -hmm. it and it has and it looks like it will continue that way what that doesn't mean though is that the actual prices of things are coming down. It just means we're not accelerating as much. As people started feeling that pinch really in Q3, it's not like that's really alleviated yet. It's just not getting worse, right? Yeah. You know, we've stopped the bleeding, but we haven't healed the wound, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, one of the biggest misconceptions, I think, of the general public is that lower inflation means lower prices. And it doesn't. It just means that prices aren't rising as fast as what they were. Um, now, we do have, I think, some indicators that that inflationary pressure is lowering uh, it, both from the good side and now beginning on the services side. With services, a lot of that can be driven by wage gains. The most recent jobs report that came out only showed about 0.2% increase in wages month on month. The quarterly numbers, the employment cost index, which is more kind of an all-in number as far as with just with wages and benefits, that's still fairly elevated, but it's at least heading in the right direction. So uh, I think the third quarter number was around 1.1%. 
uh, quarterly. So just back of the envelope calculation, annualizing that, that's like 4.4%, right? Uh, but at least that's down from what it was about a year ago. So it's heading in the right direction, but maybe not as quickly as what a lot of people are hoping for. Yeah, absolutely. But again, you're starting to see some slowdowns across the board. Like I think it was Friday, Maersk, which is a huge shipping company. So think about goods coming from overseas you know, into the into the United States. They announced 10,000 layoffs, mm, wow. um, which is a, a, a huge number and probably a sign of what retailers are expecting. And, you know, really Q4 deliveries are there, but think Q1, Q2 at mm-hmm. this point as far as, you know, lead on shipping times and things like that. Yeah, and that's interesting that a big shipping company like that, uh, I wondered the extent to which they would be like a bellwether uh, because obviously they don't want to be cutting jobs only to see suddenly like a surge in orders or need for shipping because it's hard to uh, replace those individuals once you've let them go. And I wonder if that leads into some of the threats or should we get to the opportunities first to follow the SWAT framework as opposed to jumping to the threats. Uh, But In terms of the threats, I think it would be that Q4 is probably going to be weaker than Q3. And then is this the start of a trend towards weaker and weaker numbers as we feel the full effect of not just the Federal Reserve's tightening policy, but global central banks tightening policies as well. As far as the Bank of England, the European Central Bank, Bank of Canada, uh, they've all engaged in tighter monetary policy. The standout has really been with Japan continuing on with their negative interest rate policy for their overnight policy rate. This past week, they did announce that they are going to be tweaking their yield curve control. So they've been targeting about a 1% rate on the Japanese 10-year Japanese government bond. And they said that that's more of like a, a target as opposed to like an actual, they're not trying to pin it at 1%. It's not a ceiling. It's not a floor. It's more like it's as long as it's close to it. And so uh, th- that's one of the few areas, them and the People's Bank of China, that's doing some stimulus. But, you know, does that create any opportunities out there that uh, you're kind of seeing in terms of uh, what you're hearing from companies? Companies as far as these almost cross currents globally going on. Swing back to opportunities here, where you know things have been interesting. You know, we've certainly seen a lot, especially late last week. We saw you know sentiment was so low. We saw the put call mm-hmm. ratio so low that you, I think you saw a little bit of that short squeeze start to come in. Mm. Um, maybe even particularly in the treasury market, given you know basically three days in a row of you know, fifteen basis point declines. Yeah, that's unbelievably sharp. Given yeah, we're at a pause, and that's that's one thing. But to see it fall that sharply, a pause doesn't mean rapid cuts necessarily, but you're seeing the long end really behave aggressively, Mm -hmm. I I guess, compared to what you'd see normally. And then one energy I can opine on for just a couple of minutes here um, is the energy market, which has been weaker of of late, but there's, again, a huge floor under there. You've got OPEC plus really seeming to defend the uh, the $80 price level. You've got the Strategic Petroleum Reserve at 1980s levels. You know, at some point for national security, if nothing else, we're going to need that that inventory level to, to rise again. So you've got a natural buyer out there. Mm-hmm. And something that maybe isn't talked about enough is production in the Permian starting to reach probably maximum level and maybe even entering decline. Hmm. Um, the interesting ver- thing there is that's mainly shale oil and you know there's a lot of new rigs over there the past couple of years from you know 20 really from 2015 on those first couple years of production are huge numbers but the decline rate is about 17 percent per well per year on average so you see that those production numbers really drop off then you need to start drilling more wells to see that 
continue. And it's not that, you know, they can produce for 20, 30 years, but the cost per dollar that comes out of the ground continues to rise and rise and rise. It's basically a pressure-based system, right? So Mm -hmm. as that pressure eases, as you get oil out, you need to supply more pressure in and drill deeper and those costs increase. Mm -hmm. Um, So that the break even on the dollar a barrel is another floor. And that's probably why you haven't seen the majors as you have in other energy cycles necessarily go hog wild on the CapEx side um, because they know those break-evens are just going to be rising. Mm-hmm. Do you have any feel at all for uh, what's happening, not just in the Permian, uh, but also like you know, offshore drilling? I seem to remember that uh, the number of rigs that are out there. Uh, those are expensive to build, right? And so as the Fed has increased interest rates, cost of capital has gone up, it probably makes it less profitable to build one of those or own one of those. So is it just the Permian Basin that we might see some kind of like peak production? Or are you seeing that anywhere else as well? Sure. So I guess the main reason I, I, I emphasize the Permian was really, if you think about all the called the non-OPEC mm-hmm. gains in production, it was almost 100% the United States and mostly sure. the Permian Basin. I mean, there's a little bit in, in Williston and Eagle Ford that's getting probably way too in the weeds for our average listener here. I could go on all day. But, you know, that's been the major source of, of, of the gain globally, frankly. Mm-hmm. And OPEC Plus, in the past, you've seen folks kind of break off and, you know, overproduce and do their own thing. But really, their production levels are so high and so close to capacity at this point. Even if someone really wanted to overproduce to try and, you know, harvest revenues, if you will, at this point, there's just not the capacity for it. Sure, sure. So, you know, as global demand continues to rise, even into a recessionary environment, you know, you've seen the the EIA and the IEA, which I promise are different but similar, um, <laughs> <laughs> both continue to raise their forecasts for on the demand side. And if you ever see an economic recovery, is perhaps we go through a recession, perhaps we don't, but as the economy globally improves, that's going to be a natural headwind because you're not really going to be able to ramp production quite like I think people think. Mm, yeah. Now, in terms of uh, any sort of, so that's perhaps an opportunity is to look for, you know, energy there. Um, what about in terms of like threats? You know, I had highlighted as far as, well, what if this is as good as it gets from an economic perspective? Third quarter activity was very high. Fourth quarter, perhaps weaker. Atlanta Fed's uh, GDP now suggests it's going to be something around like, you know, 1 to 1.5% growth, which is not horrible, right? It's not negative, but it is a step lower than the like 4.9% that we had in the third quarter. And if the the Fed, they kind of want to keep financial conditions tight, which I interpret that to mean that they don't want the 10-year treasury to go too much above 5%, perhaps, right? Because they don't want it to get too tight, but they might not want it to get too much below 4.5% because then it loosens up. Right. And so maybe the Fed is going to change their tune depending upon the level of the 10 year Treasury. So I kind of view that as like an economic threat. Uh, what are you seeing as far as some of the, the threats in the market? The GDP number from the Atlanta Fed was really interesting because I think they put their first number out on like the 27th of yeah. October and it was you know, 2.3. And then you know, they do revise at any time there's a significant data point, but it was seven days later, we dropped it at almost a full percent. Sure. Which is a pretty a wild decline. Move. Yeah. You know, as you said, yeah, the the Fed doesn't really change course and you know, quantitative tightening, you know, perhaps that remains you know, on the table, assuming, like you said, the tenure remains at a, at a level they seem or they deem is you know, reasonable. You know, it doesn't feel like it the last uh, couple of days of last week, but you know, we do still have, especially in small cap land, we're highly levered companies. It doesn't have to be exclusively small cap. There's large mm-hmm. cap companies that are highly levered too, right? Sure. Um, but companies that have, you know, 
approaching debt walls. Mm-hmm. You know, if higher for longer remains the story, they're still going to be refinancing at that higher cost of debt and projects get more expensive and perhaps, you know, some CapEx things don't happen and you remain slower than you, you know, otherwise would have if even even in like a 3% environment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can imagine that could create some almost like a a long tail to the Fed's policy that let's say we do get this economic slowdown and then a recovery, that the recovery might not be as robust as what it has been in the past, mainly because of some of the scarring from the debt and the cost of the debt, right? That if the cost of capital is so much higher, they're not really going to gear up all that much on the financial side in order to have like a rip-roaring recovery. That it could be maybe a slow slide into a recession or near recession, and then perhaps a bit of a stumbling or staggering recovery uh, when that does happen. I think the Fed too, if they see that the markets are getting what they would deem a little too hot in their opinion, you know, even if they don't necessarily change rates or change course, they could always use the bully pulpit. It seems yep. like someone, someone from the Fed is talking seemingly on a weekly basis, right? There's always opportunity for them to throw the warning out that, you know, hey, just so you know, we still do have this ability to raise in our back pocket. Yeah, in the late 1990s, the Central Bank of New Zealand, the Reserve Bank of New Zealand, they coined the phrase open mouth operations. Uh, And it seems very appropriate that that's a a key thing that the uh, central bankers around the world do is if they don't change policy, they can at least try to uh, jawbone uh, markets and expectations one way or the other. What's our headline strength this week? I think that the strength is really the Powell pause and what that has meant for not just the fixed income market, but the equity markets. Headline weakness. Equity valuations and Q4 guidance. Headline opportunity. I think one of the big ones is people have finally tempered their expectations. So low expectations plus short positioning has meant a decent rally so far. And our headline threat. Remains the Fed. Annex Wealth Management SWAT podcast. It's episode 76. Ken Bellinger, senior trader. Thanks. Thank you. Dr. Brian Jacobson, Chief Economist, Annex Wealth Management. Thank you. Thank you. Annex Wealth Management, LLC, is a registered investment advisor. For more information about our firm, please visit AnnexWealth.com. The information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is subject to change without notice. The opinions expressed are those of the participants and don't necessarily reflect on those of Annex Wealth Management, LLC. Information presented should not be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice, or a recommendation or a solicitation for the sale of any product or strategy. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from qualified professionals to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Investments involve risk. Neither Annex Wealth Management LLC nor its podcast participants shall be liable for losses resulting from decisions based on information or viewpoints presented on this podcast.